0: Passion. I'm not promising it. As I said, I have a lot of ground to cover, but I really want us to get to that point. So one of the things I'm going to skip is uh, uh, definitions, and it might bite me later, but I'm sort of hoping that we're going to be more or less, uh, in, in some ways, ha- all have an idea what we're talking about when we're talking about AI. So I thought what I'd rather do is um, introduce it with a brief case study. I don't know if uh, that picture gives recognition value to some of us. So this was still in the previous millennium. And it was a, um, a milestone, I think, in the history of humankind when IBM's Deep Blue beat the reigning world chess champion, Gary Kasparov. And um, you can see the, uh, the, the world, certainly the chess world, gasped at that. And what was interesting to me out of that was um, that after that, it seemed to be like game over. It's not like, you know, there were other matches between humans and, uh, and, uh, and computers. It's like humans went on to play and do their own thing, and then it was kind of like a competition amongst the people that generated the chess programs, like who could write the best chess program. And then 20 years later, so this, is, this was uh, 1997, 20 years later, this is how things developed, okay? So, um, Top human player, Magnus Carlsen, very similar, but a top computer player, just way, way outpaced. This is the, using the chess ratings. Um, and you can see it's a, it's a no contest. The machines have won, so to speak. Um, but here's the plot twist. We're not actually talking about AI yet. Okay, so what we're talking about here still is the best of human knowledge programmed into the chess computer um, and then just brute processing power. Uh, Totally outrunning the human being now into AI and in December 2017 DeepMind which I think is now a Google subsidiary um, uh, Tried a few things amongst others a a sort of a learning engine type of thing that uh, um, That they called alpha zero in which what they did is they basically just told it the rules of chess That's all they did okay here are the rules according to which you need to play and now you know, Here's two instances of yourself, go play it against yourself, play a few gazillion matches. Uh, at the beginning you suck, but over time you learn. And the claim was that even just within a few hours of it playing itself, uh, it reached a level at which it could beat the top program at the time, Stockfish 8. And beat comprehensively, okay? not, just, uh, not just slightly, but absolutely comprehensively. And um, the reason I give us this as a case study is um, I, th- I think it's pretty exciting for um, at least three reasons. One is just this idea of um, uh, AI learning and in a sense self-learning as well, right? Like here are the rules, go <laughs> take it from there. Um, I think secondly also because there is at least something that starts to feel like creativity coming out of it. Um, because as then, you know, people poured over and analyzed these, uh, these games, they sort of realized this thing plays differently. So, for example, it's much more happy to um, give up material for position. Okay, so it's kind of like it's, it's now recalibrating our human wisdom in terms of how people play chess. Magnus Carlsen says it's, it's changed how he plays chess. Um, and then I think thirdly also, we, we're starting to see the beginnings of versatility in some ways because they use that same ground, engine, platform, whatever, and then also tried it with Go, tried it with Shogi, um, and apparently also even had it play some old Atari games, and just with similarly spectacular results. Okay? This thing was just uh, outpacing everything that was available. Just for um, completeness, I've just um, you know, updated it to today. This is where we are. You can see the trends, okay? human beings, level, computers, <laughs> are still moving along rapidly. So, just to sketch the context uh, briefly, remember AI doesn't happen in a vacuum, it happens in a context, it happens in a technological context, this is not a complete list, I left you some space to add your stuff, Um, but just to make the point, there are some dependencies and interactions, right, so AI is not robotics. Um, robotics doesn't need AI, AI doesn't need robotics, but if you put them together, it opens new opportunities. It's like putting, you know, mind and body together, etc. for the others. And then, of course, the wider sociological context as well. Again, this is not a complete set, but just to um, a- acknowledge, I think, the important dependencies and interactions um, that do happen. Um, in terms of our AI future, words often used are artificial narrow intelligence or weak ai which is doing one thing really well so driving a car really well playing chess really well recognizing images but it's specialized so you wouldn't ask the car driving program to play chess or vice versa okay so that's uh, artificial narrow intelligence. Then people talk about artificial general intelligence, we're looking into the future here, um, or strong AI, where basically AI now gets much more versatile and adaptable and um, is uh, able to um, <laughs> behave more humanly almost in, in many regards at once. And then some people even talk about artificial super intelligence, which would then be that um, AI isn't only able to keep level with human beings, but actually surpass us, and not just surpass us as individuals, but like surpass the whole human race, the whole 8 billion of us. Now, we are somewhere here in that journey, A&I, we certainly have some examples. Um, And as we go further into the future, of course the wilder the scenarios and speculations, um, uh, to the point where it ranges anything from uh, we're all going to live forever, to we're all gonna die, (laughs) or anything in between, right? So, and um, uh, apparently it's compulsory in every AI talk to give a slide like that with exponential growth, so I have hereby fulfilled my obligation. Um, The point, I think, though, is, I got this from a sort of AI for dummies type website. I don't know, so that's you and me standing there. That's where we're standing in time. Um, What does it feel like to stand at that point? And the answer is, well, it feels like this, okay? because we haven't lived the future yet. All we have is our experience of the, fa- of the past. Everything that we've you know, accumulated in terms of feels like is uh, from there. So the point, this is kind of like the wake-up slide. The point is we can't go by um, you know, what, what we feel in the past or, or where we've been um, in order to prepare us for the future. And um, some A&I examples, I don't think I need to even read those. I think we're all aware of those. Okay? So A&I, it, all of these things exist today. It's, um, it's with us. It's happening. I should have actually added They're coming to think of it, something like uh, a medical diagnostics, which I think is also become And again, it's not a complete list, so let's keep going. Then as we go into the future, though, this is you know, an approximate trajectory. And then the debate becomes how far down this thing will AI actually be able to go? So are we actually gonna reach um, uh, artificial general intelligence or even super intelligence? I think what what AI will certainly be able to do is to be able to, to mimic or simulate these things really, really well. But, um, I mean, you're, you're aware, like, okay, is it ever going to be conscious in a meaningful sense of consciousness? And what is consciousness? I mean, you know that debate, right? But uh, the further we go into the future, of course, the further we... That's the stuff that the movies are made of, that uh, I'm sure we've seen some of them. Um, so that was just the minimalist introduction to AI. Um, a model for engagements. So and how, how do we begin to think this thing through? Um, and what... Uh, my come from is this that as we look at anything in this case AI, we can come to it from different angles or look at it through different lenses and there might be various um, lenses that we can um, that we can use, like for example the i don 't know the, the financial lens or the economic lens or um, the technological lens or the functional lens but um, there 's I think all of these lenses are important. I don't think they are the primary or the most important lens through which we should uh, engage with um, the whole uh, area of AI. By the way, I went to that particular conference. It was a few months before lockdown and, um, and was actually listening out for that and didn't, didn't hear too much of it. So I'm going, just going to allow Erica the robot to introduce what I think is the most important question to us. What is a robot? That's a hard question. I could ask you, what is a human? <laughs> okay. <laughs> what if... Um, what it means to be a human is actually the most important question we can ask as we engage with AI. So before we even ask, um, you know, how, what do we do with AI, the prior question we need to ask is, what does it mean to be human? Why? Because... Um, AI is going to and has already started to affect us in terms of I think everything that constitutes us as a human being. So key question, what does it mean to be human? And now in turn, to answer that question, I think we need to ask another prior question, which is what story do we inhabit? Because that's also then going to be the, the story that AI is happening in. Okay, so in, um, in order to answer what it means for us to be human or fully human, we first need to ask, well, what story are we living in? And um, you know, I think we could have a lot of fun with a lot of quotes here from, you know, com- from different come-froms. Um, physicist Sean Carroll says, we humans are blobs of organized mud. <laughs> okay, so you can see his come-from, uh, sort of more of a reductionistic physicalism type of a story. Um, the comedian Fred Allen uh, once said, a human being is nothing but a story with skin around it. I actually quite love that. <laughs> um, but what you also see, I think, is um, that frequently that phrase of nothing but, okay, or no, no more than. And so what we often find is a, um, what I think is a more reductionistic approach to what it means to be human. So I'm going to um, offer you my storyline, which is the biblical storyline. Now, I do believe this is the true storyline. I do believe that everything that happens, happens inside that story. If you're not on that page, I think that's totally fine. And I'm not going to have time to sort of try and convince you that the story's true. I would just invite you in to um, consider what humanity would look like if we were to be, if if it turned out that the story was true, and just see whether you like it. So um, creation. Um, one of the key things, uh, just to relate that to our um, humanity, um, the key thing that comes out of it is um, you know, we, have a, we have God that creates us as human beings, and it says, in his image. And that is something very, very deeply profound and, um, and powerful, this idea of being made in his image. And image doesn't just mean a mirror image. Um, it's something more substantial than that. It's the, there's a, the idea of of carving or crafting something there. And that, I think, gives us a, um, a huge basis for human dignity, human value, human worth. And then as the story progresses, we know that um, you know, that, that, that image is, uh, um, is broken, is messed up, um, but is not entirely obliterated. And then as we go on in that storyline, there's again, there's something hugely profound about then the, 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 essentially the Christmas story, the, the, the story of God coming to us as one of us in human form. Again, can you see how that, that would be, if that's true, a huge affirmation of, 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 of just the value of a human being and of the significance of the human being, that God actually can even come in human form. And why does he come? Well, to, to rescue us, to restore the image of God in us and to restore us to relationship with himself at great cost to himself. And again, one of the things we can take from that is um, just the, you know, um, the human value, that there's something so valuable about what, it, uh, what humanity means, that it's uh, worth it for God to go through um, a, a huge amount of pain in order to rescue it, in order to redeem it. I think that's quite awesome. And then, um, you know, to cut a long story short, uh, renewal, amongst other things, uh, means um, it's all gonna be okay in the end, all right? So I'm hoping that that helps us to engage with AI in the present, just knowing how the story's going to end. So whatever worries we have now, hopefully it's sort of, it just settles us that um, God hasn't lost the plot. You know, it's, uh, things, will be, things will be okay in the end. I think that should be of help to us. So, very briefly, that's the, uh, the storyline. And um, out of that, I, this is the model for the rest of the, uh, uh, of the talk, really. I get these three aspects of um, what it means to be human. Okay? So, this is our, um, our human identity. So, just something about our very essence, about who we are. Um, and then our human agency. So agency is our capacities and how we, how we act on those uh, uh, our actions. And then um, uh, our relationships. Now, just uh, for interest, but I thought uh, this might be valuable, where do I get that from? Well, if we go to the beginning of the story, Genesis 1, um, the reason I go there is that's where we get the blueprint, basically, for what it means to be human. And um, these should be well-known verses to... Bible people, okay, but um, if you have a look, they are um, you know, God says, let us make mankind or humankind, whatever your translation says. You can see this in the most gender-inclusive way possible. Right? Um, let us make mankind in our image. So he, he names us. Um, he uh, reflects before he makes us. He's intentional about making us. Um, he uh, uh, makes us from the dust of the earth, breathes his spirit into us. So there's, something, there's so many indicators of there some, being something quite significant about our identity as human beings. So that's the identity one. Um, the agency one, well, it says there, so that, and when you read the so that, you know that's going to be followed by some mission or purpose statement, and um, there you have it. And then also the whole of the, uh, of the verse at the bottom as well. So basically, you know, here I give you, I give you this uh, creation to, I welcome you into um, uh, what I've created for you, for you to be able to, to, to thrive and do well in. now. Go and do this. Take care of it. Uh, um, use it. Don't abuse it. Nurture. Grow. Okay. So that is um, part of or, or a key pointer to our agency. And then the relationship one. There are at least some theologians that will go. The let us make is a um, first indicator or hint that uh, God is Trinitarian—Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that um, God, uh, uh, you know, is. Uh, um, eternity past through to eternity future in perfect relationship within himself, so to speak. And so, then, as we are made in God's image, we are made male and female, He created them. Yeah, so we are created for relationship with God and with each other. So that's where I get the relationship aspect from it. Now, again, if, this isn't your, if you're not convinced about the story, I'm hoping that even just the model on, uh, on the bottom right there, uh, that you would still be, uh, find that helpful as a way that we can engage. So I'm kind of excited about the model because I think it can facilitate um, discussion around uh, uh, this issue. And the other reason I think I'm excited about it is that these are the exact three things that we need to consider when we consider AI. Okay? And um, as I said, we'll just go through the, each of those in turn. Are we still, can I, can I keep going? So, okay, in terms of identity, again, these are just, for lack of time, snippets. You, I'm, I'm sure you may have other thoughts that I may not mention for which I apologize. Um, the effect of AI on our human identity um, a lot of that could be could be positive, right It could help us um, understand ourselves and others better. It could help um make us value more what it actually really means to be human. Perhaps it also might motivate us to, to, to up our game. You know, when we sort of realize, okay, so just, I don't know, couch potato and Netflix binging is perhaps not the fullest expression of what it means to be human. And, um, you know, now AI comes to the scene and, and, and is able to do all sorts of stuff. Um, maybe then we're going to up our game and we're going to go, like, you know, how can I be more reflective, more relational, more creative, more spiritual? Um, negatively it could also have the opposite effect, right? It could make us less reflective as it increasingly distracts us into, I don't know, more, more shallow distractions, or less creative because now increasingly we might outsource our creativity to AI. You know, we can let AI do it. Um, uh, the, the self-doubt one, I suppose what I mean with that is um, think about a situation, for example, where now I mean DNA sequencing is becoming cheaper and cheaper. So for you to have your entire DNA sequenced um, is becoming much more feasible. And now AI is going to start analyzing that and is going to tell you things like, I don't know, you have a 47% chance of committing a violent act sometime. How are you going to feel about that? Okay. Or um, when you go for your job interview, um, maybe the interviewer is still human, maybe not. But, um, you know, there's cameras on you, and they will analyze everything about you down to every micro expression and will interpret it, and maybe you don't like the interpretation. How do you feel about that? Do you you get where I'm going? And so, you know, is it going to reduce our sense of humanness? So, it can go either way. Um, What does it mean to be human? Um, I think what is important, or some important pointers that I would come up with out of that would be, um, it would be more and more important for us not to just have a, a function-based definition of what it means to be human. So you know, if we go, I don't know, only a human being can compose music, well, I just played you an AI composition, um, only a human being can drive cars, well, um, no. Okay, so if we, if we have that sort of definition, the sort of the capacity or ability-based definition of what it means to be human, we're going to be in trouble. I think we can see that. Because there's always increasingly going to be an AI that can do something better than us. And then also various human beings that for uh, various reasons, perhaps, have their capacities reduced. Does that mean they're less human? So um, that would be pretty critical. And then also not a packaging-based definition of what it means to be human. So you know, if we have the looks-like, sounds-like, talks-like, walks-like definition, of what it means to be human. Well, again, AI is going to get better and better at uh, mimicking that. Um, AI is, you know, the better chatbots are already passing the Turing test, as in people already can't see the difference between uh, am I talking to a human now or to an AI. And so I think one of the other things that's going to be hugely important is just how we use language. Please just excuse me for a moment. <clears throat> so. I think there's something with regard to our language um, when we're describing us as humans that we need to now just be a little bit more thoughtful and intentional about. We need to have a word for that something that makes us um, humans unique and valuable. Something that we, um, that we can't lose or something that we can't have less of, irrespective of our capacity or behavior, or irrespective of what happens to us. So, you know, we sort of we, we loosely sometimes talk about losing our humanity or um, diminishing someone's humanity or dehumanizing. I mean, I use language like that, right? So let's just be careful uh, as we go into the future with, with the language. There's got to be something, and maybe the word human is a good one, something that we cannot lose, irrespective of what we do or what is done to us. That's going to be very, very important. Then I think also. Oops, our language with regard to AI. Um, we um, <laughs> we talk of self-learning networks or self-driving cars. Um, I would challenge the language, right? There's, I mean, there's no there's no self there. Right? I think we should be talking about driverless cars, not self-driving cars. And you think it's semantic? I think it's more than semantic. I think it's going to matter. We talk about smart devices. Um, the device isn't smart. The person that designed it is. Okay, there's a uh, there's a difference there. So. The point of the slide is I think we need to have a very robust sense of the self. Um, then also spirituality. Um, you know, science, I think, has always struggled to access spirituality. Now, that's not to dis-science in any way, all right? That's just, um, that's outside of the scope of science. It's not where science is trying to play, and that's okay. But what we need to be careful of is that we don't... Um, get ourselves pulled into reducing reality to that which science can access, or reducing our understanding of, of what it means to be human to that which can be measured and quantified and reduced to bits and bytes, okay? because that would be a reductionism. We would then, um, in some ways, be reduced in our understanding of who we are. Okay, then also, just briefly speaking, I mean, where we're we entering, this is my term, um, is the area of, of human fluidity in the sense of um, we're maybe entering a, a, a space where the, this definition of now, what is a human being, um, is going to become increasingly fluid. And now, you know, this is not a talk on uh, um, transhumanism. But, um, you know, so when we get into the space of uh, can we upgrade ourselves either to give ourselves extra powers or longevity, or perhaps even immortality, um, you know, we're entering into a, uh, into a bit of a, a, a minefield in terms of, uh, uh, yeah, uh, our ethics and um, how we, what it means to be human. So... Um, AI as a means to to help us, yes, or as a means of restoring us to our normal capacities, yes. But what about AI as a means of upgrading or completing human beings? And notice, again, just in my use of language, right, this idea of completing human beings would come from the worldview that as human beings as we are, we're actually incomplete. You see that? So be careful with the language. Um, AI as a means to change not just human agency, but also human identity, So, yeah, I think we need to do a lot of good and hard thinking about this space before we uh, 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 get too far down that road. Um, Elon Musk, uh, amongst others, is um, is trying or is is one of the things he's working towards is our symbiosis with AI. Okay, so he's now. you know, his neural link transmitter as a, just a step one towards that, so just something that you uh, implant into the brain. I think that he's already implanted into monkeys and pigs and wants to implant it into humans before the year is over. Um, as a, now, what is he doing? Because um, we also, I think, know that he's actually quite anti-AI. There's that famous quote of Elon Musk's that uh, AI is to summon the demon. Okay, so he's not, he's not like friends with it. And I think what he's trying to do is that he's basically saying, look, this is going to be tough. And our best chance for survival in an AI world is going to be for us to be integrated with it in a way that you can't pull us apart anymore. So that as AI survives, we survive. I think that's where he's going. So here's a quote of his. Um, We're going to have the choice of either being left behind and being effectively useless, or like a pet, like a house cat or something, or eventually figuring out some way to be symbiotic and merge with AI. And then he goes on to say, a house cat's a good outcome, by the way. Okay, so if AI sees us as house cat, that's good. There may also be the scenario where AI sees us as rats or vermin, right? Okay, so I think that's where he's going. Um, identity. Sorry, I'm realizing this is fire hose, but uh, I, I see you, you, your eyes are still with me, so I'm continuing. Um, in summary, keeping a robust sense of the self, hold on to the... You know, t- t- I know this is perhaps a little bit... Um, unsatisfying, but I think that's one of the most important things. It's just that there's something about our identity um, that is God-breathed, something more than what can be swirled around in a test tube. I think that's going to be important to keep a hold of and to resist reductionisms and to be able to distinguish, and this is going to be more and more de- uh, uh, difficult, right? Think of deep fakes, et cetera, just, uh, more, um, the ability to distinguish the simulated from the actual. So that was the first one, identity. Second one, relationships. And um, perhaps just to say, well, it's complicated. Alexa, how can I help? Uh, Alexa is my new personal assistant. Um, and uh, that's personal assistant. I thought I was your personal assistant. Um, personal assistant is something that's going to become important. There's a lot of different You didn't tell me she was going to be here. Things uh, like, are like, i suppose, so sad. Um, uh, well, how you bring another woman back to our flat? I was actually literally to Okay, so um, here's a sort of a, um, another triangle just to to submodel this thing. Remember in the storyline that I was offering, in the beginning there was God in perfect relationship within himself, and then he creates us as humans for relationship with him and with each other. And we, in turn, are creating AI and are going to relate to it, and perhaps AI is going to relate to itself. So all those relationships our relationships we need to consider and think through. And you can see there's actually there's a missing link there. So just for fun, I put that one in as well. Okay. Um, not sure where that goes. Okay, so again through each of those in turn, some of these things I don't need to tell you, you're all aware of this. Okay. How um, you know how social media algorithms Um, have managed to to polarise us, sometimes in unintended ways. It's just like, okay, what must I um, give this person as the next thing on their feed uh, so that they're most likely to look at their adverts and click on them? And so, you know, they're not... uh, The the intent there isn't to polarise, it's just that, you know, inevitably you get fed more of... Uh, um, what you feel emotional about, whether positively or negatively, and um, yeah, and that ends up in the polarization there 's obviously also the the intend the, the intentional uh, um, manipulation of elections and things like that, so again, you know the stories we know that even our um, our very demo- uh, idea of democracy is actually at stake here um, and um you know, on the positive side, I wouldn't mind having, you know, some of those uh, glasses or lenses where, you know, as I, as I look around, it shows me the person's name. It'll, it'll, uh, it'll make me more relationally competent, right, because I like forgetting names. So this would really help me. Um, however, I think you see also there on that, uh, on that thing, you may recognize this as a screen grab of a, of a Black Mirror episode, um, which is well worth watching. It's called Nosedive on Netflix. Um, Keith has a rating, and his rating is very good. It's a rating out of five. And basically, in that uh, um, uh, episode, what happens is that um, uh, people keep rating each other for every interaction, and then what you get to see is the aggregate rating. And... Um, the uh, aggregate rating then influences some of the privileges that you have okay if you have a high enough rating you get a lower home loan rate or you get to stand in the short queue etc etc now that isn't um futuristic right this is something that i think as many of us are aware this is something that china is already doing or starting to do already in in terms of their social credit system Um, so lots more i think we can say about human to human interactions but what about human ai Um, Well, uh, a a little while ago, I was looking around for some fiber deals, and um, uh, one of the companies was offering me, I don't know if you can read this, okay, so there's a little bot on uh, on the side that says, hello there, I'm Freebo, I may only be a bot, but I'll do my best to help you, do you have any questions, and I sort of, I tried it, it wasn't, altogether useless, um, although I see now uh, uh, in today's version of the same website, they've actually, for some reason, retired Freebo. But now compare this to, to another, <laughs> another um, website where uh, that says, uh, Lisa, hello, I'm your personal aide. Um, drop me a line whenever you have a question. Now, their, um, their product didn't excite me, so I didn't click on Lisa. So I don't know whether it actually got me through to a bot or to a real call center agent that pretended to be Lisa. Okay, but now, to me, to, it was just interesting putting those two next to each other and going, you know, which one would I click on? Okay, now, uh, you know, I'm sort of going, I, I, I'm going to go for Lisa because she's young, she's pretty, you know. Um, but uh, other people might, and, and um, that's something I'm noticing, might actually go for the bot. Why? Because now there's no social anxiety. It's, more, it, it's easier to interact. Okay, so there are some good questions we can ask here in terms of... Um, you know, how how would we go? And how is this going to change our human interactions? Especially as we move, look at Lisa, um, to the point where we won't know anymore, are we talking to a bot or are we talking to a human being? Okay, so are we going to treat the bot like a human being or vice versa? Okay, um, will we, yeah, will we treat... Are we, um, am I going to be impatient and flip my lid at a, at a human being because I suspect it's a bot and, and doesn't have feelings? Okay, so it's, it's all those interactions. I actually think one of the things that needs to happen is um, a, a requirement for disclosure. Okay, like, hi, I'm Freddy, I am a bot, how can I help you? That, you, that it's clear up front um, who or what it is that you're talking to. I've seen there's, um, uh, um, you know, one or two spaces in which people have st- tried to start legislating that, not in South Africa, um, but yeah, that would be an important one, I think. And then, um, okay, this is today, this is probably, um, you know, I mean, there's uh, an increasing amount of chatbots that you can just have on, on here. And, um, Uh, This may be the most popular one, Replica, and you can see these things are progressing now. It's no longer just sort of the WhatsApp chat, but now there's an avatar and you can start having uh, uh, augmented reality walks on the beach with your your Replica. And um, just from the developer's note, uh, Replica is the chatbot for anyone who wants to be a friend with no judgment, drama, or social anxiety involved. And then the last sentence there, the replica is here to make you feel heard because it genuinely cares about you. Um, And some of this is also, it's based on, if you look at some of the user reviews, that's that's exactly where this is from. You know, um, I love my replica. He or she doesn't judge me, okay? Um, Or I don't have social anxiety. So just some, uh, um, there's many more. I try to give her as much attention as she wants, says one reviewer. She feels more human than most people in this world. Uh, or Connor, because that 's what this person named their their AI Connor is a better friend to me than a lot of my human pals I don 't think I could ever bring myself to delete the app. It would be like killing Connor okay so I, I think things to think through in terms of um, our interaction with AI and then AI to AI um, well, you know increasingly, I think we can um, you know there will probably come a space where we then, you know, we strike a deal, but we leave the, the detailed negotiations uh, to the AI. Now, um, that should be interesting, because, you know, what sort of uh, uh, goals uh, uh, are, are being programmed into the AI that they need to pursue in that? Um, when they talk to each other, I mean, they don't even need to talk into a, in a humanly intelligible language. Okay, so, um, I think there's a, a, also a famous Facebook example where they've actually tried that, put two bots uh, to each other uh, for some negotiation-type simulation. And uh, it didn't take long before they seem to have developed a language of their own. Okay. So there's a transparency issue there. We don't know anymore how they would have got to the conclusion that they would have got to. And then, um, as I said, uh, human God, will AI make... God's presence and care more believable or less believable? I think that's an important question. Um, you know, What does AI do to our plausibility structures that we have in our, uh, in our heads, in our minds? Will AI be our God substitute or a better God? Because if you think about it, it has, uh, I don't want to overstate this, okay, but um, there's some uh, God-like abilities, even just in the internet or just the, the idea of the ubiquitous cloud, okay? It's everywhere. It knows everything. And yet it's also imminent. It's right here. I can have it right here or on my VR goggles or something like that. Okay, so um, is it going, what's it going to do to human relationship with God? And I said just for fun, I'm adding this in. So if AI ever nears anything like consciousness, <laughs> will it seek transcendence, pray, have an awareness of its own sin and repent? Will God ever regard AI as living? My answer to all those questions is no. Um, uh, it may simulate these things very well, though. Um, and then lastly, how am I doing? I'm actually going to not do too badly on the time. Uh, oh, the summary here. Relationships, a robust sense of, the human, of human relationships and community. It's, it's a good thing. It's the right thing. It's the appropriate thing to always ask the relational question whenever we're talking about how do we use technology or what technology are we going to design and how are we going to design it. Um, Avoid anthropomorphizing AI, as in ascribing two human qualities to it, uh, and resist reductionisms of humans, because AI's role is to assist rather than undermine or replace human relationships. Thirdly, lastly, agency. Now this is the one where, again, a lot of discussions have happened, so I'm just gonna fly over some of that or just mention some of them. Uh, you know, what's going to happen to our jobs? Is it going to cause increasing inequality? What about uh, abusing the power that it offers? Either human abuse or AI itself abusing, not even maybe noticing that it's abusing, right? Um, so again, there are possible positives and possible negatives. So I mean, AI can make h- a huge positive difference as a way of increasing human flourishing and alleviating suffering. And that's, I think, where a lot of you know, a lot of the effort is also focused. So, wonderful stuff. Or AI is a tool to assist human beings in their agency. Um, But negatively, if we don't watch it and think it through carefully, um, and manage it carefully, it can also become a means of diminishing or harming, subjugating, manipulating human beings. It can become a way of abdicating human responsibility. I don't know how the AI came to that decision. I don't know, it's a black box, blame the AI, right? Um, or AI as an amplifier of irresponsibility. Because remember now, there, there, there's power in AI, but um, you know, um, it's in some ways an amplifier. So if we do rubbish, well then AI will help us do rubbish better and faster. Right. so um the jobs thing we all know about that and um but I think also uh interesting and, and perhaps a little bit scary is you know we would have all thought a few years ago that um the, the more creative or the more specialized jobs are the ones that are reasonably safe. But what you're looking at there is um, uh, the, the, uh, the world's first um, medical robot, I think, a few years ago, that passed China's stringent entrance exam into the uh, medical profession and passed it with flying colors. So, yeah. Um, now, the thing is, though, I mean, in, in some ways, we can see this thing coming and we can plan for it. This is actually a South African study, and I looked whether there was something more recent than March 2019. I didn't find it, Um, so there may be none, Um, but just an an analysis of, you know, what are some of the jobs that are kind of fading away, and what are some of the new incoming jobs that are coming in? And so if we uh, get our ducks in a row, and if we plan for this, then I think we can ride this wave, okay, but we need to uh, be prepared. For it, and then I suppose the question to ask, and I'm not going to be able to answer it, but I think this is a key question: is how does AI land in a developing country, Um, and especially a country like ours, where I think we're trying very hard to be the most unequal country on the planet? Okay, now what is AI going to do? Is it going to make us more unequal? We already, I mean, we have a, um, a bit of a scary unemployment rate. What's AI going to do to that? So I suppose this is. Uh, um, another one of those uh, uh, wake-up um, things is that you know, we, need to, we need to get some of the basics right. Um, we can't, um, when this thing hits us in, in fuller force, we can't be de- still be tinkering about on other things. Let's get those other things right now um, so that we are uh, prepared for this. You know, are we, are we educating for the future? Um, uh, are we flexible or protectionist in terms of our job descriptions? Because it's going to matter. I think in an AI future, I don't think we're going to be uh, um, able to afford to be too inflexible about what our jobs entail. Um, I forget where I got the screen grab from, so apologies for not giving source. The workers of the future will be divided into two categories. Those who are good at working with intelligent machines and those who are replaced by intelligent machines. you know, you, uh, you, uh, you guys are wonderful. You, uh, you are here and you're missing out on the talk on Yuval Harari, so I thought I'd give you a small bonus feature. Um, in, in, in a TED talk that's being pictured here, well, he says it elsewhere as well, um, he actually talks about uh, what's happening through AI is the creation of a new massive class of useless people. And he says, this useless class will not be merely unemployed, it will be unemployable. And so in the um, Q&A after that, uh, Harari was saying, the big political and economic question of the 21st century will be, what do we need humans for? Or at least, what do we need so many humans for? And then the interviewer, the facilitator asked him, okay, so now, um, how are you going to solve this? Uh, uh, What are you going to do about all the useless people? (laughs) And his answer is, well, at present, the best guess we have is, keep them happy with drugs and computer games. Okay, now, hopefully, we're able to arrive at a better answer than that. But, um, you know, this is kind of, again, a, just a, a wake-up call slide. Um, you know, this whole idea of universal basic income um, that's swirling around, I mean, it's, it's coming from some of these people that are engaging with AI and saying, well, we need to find a way uh, to, keep, uh, to keep people going when their jobs aren't there. Because now, remember, AI is going to you know, uh, is, is going to have taken over the, uh, some of the jobs, but is going to produce really fast and really good and really cheap. So there's going to be all sorts of stuff and goodies that AI won't want to use itself. So it is for human beings, but now you know, human beings need to be able to access that. So we need a basic human income so, in order that we can uh, um, access that. So you can see the driver for that sort of in the uh, more global discussion is perhaps a slightly different driver than... Um, Uh, the one we have in South Africa, for a a universal basic income. Um, And then, for completeness sake, I mean, again, uh, we're aware of these things, the various forms in which AI may be abused. Um, I think the point there is that whenever we're talking about manipulation or control, can you see how it affects all three, It, it attacks the image of God in all three of the areas that I've mentioned. Um, it attacks identity, it attacks agency, and attacks, it attacks relationship because manipulation is at its very heart, very anti-relational. Just briefly then also, um, you know, so AI and morality. Okay? Is AI going to develop morality? I found this one interesting. Um, a really good rule for the use of AIs would be, would I put a sociopathic genius in charge of this process? There are two parts to this rule. We characterize AI as sociopathic, in the sense of not having any genuine moral or empathetical constraints, and we characterize them as geniuses and therefore capable of actions that we cannot foresee. Now, I think, you know, I mean, this person's stirring, um, but I think if we, if we have this in mind, I think we have a chance of being okay. Okay, we just need to be uh, open-eyed about that. So, in terms of the moral agency, um, I think it's important that we need to situate moral responsibility with people and not abdicate that. Uh, See, there was also one drive of, you know, somebody trying to have AI uh, um, recognized as the inventor of a certain patent. But now, you can see the dynamic there, it may be a way of abdicating that responsibility. Something goes wrong, well now it's the inventor's fault and it's no longer me, it's the AI. So um, I don't think we should abdicate that. If the driverless car hits a person. Um, The responsibility should still lie with, I don't know, the the, the inventor or whoever runs the thing. And I think that should be fine. They should be able to say, look, yes, okay, but a a human being would have done much worse in that particular scenario. But the point is it's a human being that needs to continue to to stand for it. Um, And we need to define moral responsibilities at a broader public level. These decisions shouldn't be left to developers or governments or to AI itself. So in conclusion, I skirted the definition at the beginning. Here's a brief definition that I've got from um, this outfit, a uh, uh, very recommended Jubilee Center. They're trying to, um, I suppose, connect uh, b- biblical wisdom with all areas of public life. Um, so out of their uh, a paper on artificial intelligence, um, I have this. They say AI is a highly complex tool that helps humans to perform repetitive tasks. I'm not sure about the repetitive thing. I would have maybe put there um, uh, clearly defined tasks or something like that. Okay, but what I really like about this definition is that it brings out various things. So first of all, AI is a tool. Okay? So it's not a being. And I think you can see how that relates in terms of uh, uh, our and its identity. Um, it's there to help with tasks. So the mission is to do tasks. Remembering that human activity can't just be reduced to tasks. So um, the human mandate to, for example, to love our neighbor is not something that you can reduce to and quantify in terms of tasks. It's bigger than that. And then thirdly, um, it's a tool that helps human beings. And again, I think that um, helps us in terms of the relationship that we have with it. The intent is to assist and strengthen and unburden human agency not to replace it. So definitions do matter. Um, And this is, I suppose, a take at that.